Good to have everyone with us this morning. Great to, to be with you. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying these extra uh, minutes and time uh, where the clock is giving us more daylight and more daylight. And so uh, it's great to see that in the morning and in the evening. And uh, we hope also that uh, the light that it brings to us is the light also that we enjoy in Christ in an increasing way. Well, if you've been with us last week, you know we've started a new series of messages um, on heaven and hell. And I realize for some people, the heaven part is good. We like that. We want to, we want to hear about that and, and reflect on it. The hell part, mm, not so good. And yet we've got to uh, be honest with ourselves and see what God has told us and, and be able to apply this to our life. And so we're, uh, last week we began by talking about God as a judge. God is a judge. And uh, we learned last week that God judges, but he judges through his son, Jesus Christ. And um, one, of the, one of the great safeguards we have that when Jesus uh, executes his justice and judgment, um, it, it will be uh, done right. It'll be according to truth. Um, it, all the evidence will be in order. It will be fair. It will be complete. It will be without prejudice. Um, it'll be, uh, there'll be no false witnesses, uh, no lies, no, uh, nothing uh, impartial. It will be absolutely irrefutable. No tampering with the evidence. He will have everything he needs to fairly judge each one of us. And so we talked about that and the importance of that. Well, today I want to go a little further. And the question we want to answer today is this. What happens when I die? What happens when I die? Well, as we start with this, I'd like to start with, with this, asking this question. What is death? What is death? Well, we think we know what death is, but um, I want you to, uh, uh, to think about this with me, uh, thinking about death. Um, and I want us to think about death in three uh, separate dimensions, three separate dimensions. Uh, the first one of which is physical death. We understand physical death. Uh, we're, we, we know this. We're told that just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So we have this, uh, every one of us will face death and every one of us after death will face the judgment of Jesus Christ on us. So we talked about three uh, dimensions uh, to death, and the, the key term for us here is separation. Separation, that's the, that's the key foundational understanding of what death is, it's separation. The first one is separation uh, from, uh, physical death is separation from the body and the soul. Uh, listen, to what, listen to what James says. He says this, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We know uh, when somebody dies, we have certain things that we use to test and, and uh, to confirm whether they have died or not. Uh, there's respiration. Is that person breathing? So we see, are, are, they, 
Are they breathing? Is their heart beating? That's another one. Um, you'll notice that sometimes they'll take and, and open the eye and, and shine a light in and to see if, that, uh, if that, the eye closes or opens up. Um, it would give them an indication whether there was brain activity happening. Uh, when Jesus hung on the cross, he finally said, It is finished. And the scripture tells us in John 19 and verse 30 uh, that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He died physically. Well, not only is there a physical death, but there's a spiritual death. And the spiritual death is this. It's the separation of God and a non-believing person. Uh, so when, when we... Are, are born, we are born not spiritually awake, not spiritually um, understanding. In Ephesians 2 and verse 1, it says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now what is this? This is a spiritual death that exists, and the death is because we are in transgressions and sins. And uh, he would say in another place, um, in, in Isaiah 59, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. So there is, uh, there is a spiritual death, which means we are unresponsive to God. We're unresponsive to his word, to his being, to his approach to us. And, and uh, we're, we're spiritually dead, so we can't even respond to him. Now, uh, that's the place where an unbeliever is, spiritually dead. What God does for us is he can make us spiritually alive. Jesus spoke with a man uh, in, in, uh, by the name of Nicodemus. He was a, a religious leader, and Jesus, he came to Jesus by night. And Jesus made this statement to him in John chapter 3. He said, you must be born again. No one can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. And so God, by his Holy Spirit, is able to do something to make us alive spiritually. But without that, there is spiritual death. And, uh, but uh, it goes beyond that. There's one more designation for death. And it is the, the second death. The second death. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about the second death? Well, the Bible references this curious addition to our understanding. In fact, in the, the message to the church at Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 11, uh, the Lord Jesus tells the church that those who overcome will not be hurt at all by the second death. What is he talking about? Well, in Revelation 20, we have some understanding of what God has in store in terms of the final judgment. And here's what he says in uh, Revelation chapter 20. He says this, Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. And he says this, The second death has no power over them. The second death has no power over those who have been resurrected by Jesus. Well, in, if it, later on in that same chapter, it says, Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. 
If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So what is this? The lake of fire represents the final judgment of all people who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And uh, they have rejected him and disregarded his purpose. And, and so separation from the presence and the glory of God forever is the second death. They will be forever banished from God, eternally. Well, this leads us to a question. If there's uh, physical and spiritual and a second death, what is it that causes this death that we uh, have? Um, we, we can see on a, on a death certificate, there's a place to put cause of death. And that can be filled in there. And, and uh, we, see, we can understand physically all different uh, ways and kinds of, of things that bring us to the point of being dead. There's disease, there's infection, there are accidents, there are suicides, there's heart conditions, there are natural processes of, of uh, uh, dying. Uh, beyond that, there's starvation, there's drowning. We could go on and on and on. And, and you could put the cause of death is this. But in, in, God's, uh, in God's economy, we want to know why it is that we die. What is the cause of death? What would God put on that sheet for the, uh, the death certificate? Well, when we go back to uh, Genesis chapter 2, what we find is that in fact, uh, we go back to the beginning to find out what happened in creation. Adam was instructed by God in Genesis 2. And in verse 16, um, he said this, uh, Therefore, just as sin entered, uh, uh, the Lord commanded the man, uh, let me, uh, sorry, uh, the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, you will surely die. So he's saying here, uh, he's made provision for something. There was one prohibition that they had, and that was they couldn't eat from this fruit of the tree of good and evil. And God warned them, if you do that, if you rebel against me, if you fail to, to comply with what I've asked, um, you will surely die. I mean, there's a certainty about all of this. And, and so we know what happened. The man and the woman took the fruit and they ate it. And that very moment, the, the seeds of death were planted in them. And it would be actually 930 years later that we find in Genesis chapter 5 uh, that Adam died and Eve died. And, and God would write in that birth, in that death certificate, cause of death would be sin. Uh, listen to what it says in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all have sinned. So here we are. We'll all die because of sin. Sin is at the core of it. And, and the rebellion against God and that wanton disregard for him and his will and his law well, what then happens when we die? What, what happens when we close our, uh, our eyes in death? Well, Paul will help us understand this 
from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And the first thing I want to point out in this is that we will leave our dying, decayed, mortal, physical bodies uh, aside. They'll be gone. They'll be, uh, they will die at that moment. Um, in, he says in uh, 2 Corinthians 2, what happens when we die? Uh, we know, here's what he says, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. Let me just pause here. Our body is where we live. He describes it as an earthly tent. Uh, it, it's something that is uh, not, not going to last a long time. It's a, it's a bit flimsy. A number of years ago, our daughter uh, asked Gerda and me to go camping with her and, her and our granddaughter. And I wasn't really keen on I'm not like, my idea of camping would be something that would have a nice mattress in it and, and uh, you know, a nice hotel or something like that. But we consented to go. And she had a borrowed tent. And uh, the tent, uh, I, I hate mosquitoes. The tent wouldn't properly zipper up. So mosquitoes were getting into the tent. It makes me crazy. And then it rained. Not only did it rain, but rain got in the tent. And, and our body is kind of like a tent. It, it's not permanent. And, and we are in this place. And an eternal, uh, he says, we know that if our earth, earthly tent uh, we live in is what happens, destroyed. Now, you can, you can watch people, uh, and, and as a pastor over 35 years, I've been with many, many families and people who were dying, and it, it's just not a pretty thing. And you can see them wearing down, wearing out, uh, one uh, moment after moment. And, and uh, we, we're in the process of dying. It's interesting. You look at a young person full of life and energy, and you say, that they don't have the seed of death in them. They absolutely do. If I went out into the parking lot and I took, uh, I took a, a baseball and I threw it up into the air, you would see it leave, leave my hand and, and, and maybe accelerate a little bit. And, but there's a, 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 a gravity, a gravitational force pushing down on it. So as it goes up, it gets slower and slower and slower and gravity grabs it and it stops at some point and it starts to come down. And that's what it's like with us. Uh, we have the seeds of death in us because of the sin that we have uh, committed. And uh, the Apostle Paul knew only too well what that was all about. In the same uh, letter to the Second Corinthians, uh, Paul talked about having a, a thorn in the flesh. There was something that was really bothering. He prayed three times to God to take it away, take it away, take it away, and God chose not to. We don't know what that ailment was. Some have suggested it was maybe uh, epilepsy or it was struggling with migraines or his eyesight or aches and pains that he had, things that were going to slow him down and impede his ministry. Uh, and, and whatever it was, he knew and understood what it was like uh, for us to be in that case. Now it says this, if we live in this earthly tent that's destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Um, we resist 
the process of dying and, and being without a body. You realize that? I, I've seen when I, when I go and somebody is in, in pain and struggling in the, in the hospital and like they're not getting better, but what do they do? And what does their family do? They cling to that person. They cling to life as much as they can. Uh, listen, listen to what it says. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. We're going to have a new house that we'll live in, a new body that will be permanent, he says. But in the meantime, we groan. We're longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling because when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we were in this tent, we groan and we're burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but we want to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that in us, we're clinging to life. We're, we're trying to, why? Because we don't want to be naked. We don't want to be unclothed. What is he talking about there? He's talking about this, that, that when we die, we leave our mortal body behind. And we are a spirit being, but we resist that because we saw back in Genesis that God made us to be physical beings, not just spiritual, not just soul spirit, but physical beings. And so we cling to that and we want to have that physical uh, expression. And, uh, but we enter into this intermediate bodiless state. And the key is that we leave the physical behind for a time. Well, we look forward to a permanent dwelling in a resurrection body. Look at what, look at what he says. We have a building from God, an eternal house in the heaven, not built with human hands. We long to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it's God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. So there is something coming future. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, a body that has been resurrected from the dead. It's a body like Jesus. It's a permanent body that it'll never be sick. We'll never struggle with it. We'll never have problems with it. It'll be perfect and it will endure for all of eternity. And so he wants us to know all of these wonderful things that will help us and encourage us while we're in this state. And, and uh, I want you to notice too, he says that he's given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. See, so how do I know is God, God is going to make good on his promise? How do I know that when I die and I'm, I'm old and decrepit and, 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 and I leave this body behind, how do I know? He gave us the Holy Spirit and he gave him as a, a deposit, a guarantee, a down payment that he's going to bring us all the way around. But notice how we, we cling to this life. Don't you see that? Don't you see that? Even people struggling... Uh, I watched as my mother struggled before she died. I watched our family wanting mom to stay with us and, and, and asking God and, and pleading with God and praying for her. And she wanted to stay here too. And you get to a point where it's just like we need to let go. We need to let go. Well, uh, a believer who dies is going to be with the Lord. This is the, this is the wonderful thing. So when you die and you leave this body behind, you go instantaneously into the presence of God. 
I have been privileged to be present. Uh, well, uh, a number of people have gone into the presence of God. When they left their body behind, uh, when, they, when they departed, when the, when the spirit and the soul left, I didn't see anything, I didn't hear anything, but God removed that, that, uh, the soul of that person and brought him into the presence of Jesus Christ. We'll be with the Lord. Look at what he says. Therefore, we're always confident knowing that as long as we're at home in the body, okay, get that? At home, where, that's where we are right now. We're at home in the body. Um, we're away from the Lord. There's something he has for us that exceeds what we have. And that'll be in his presence in, in a, a very palpable, real way. And he says, we'll, we'll, uh, we're away from the body. We live by faith, not by sight. We're just saying that. And we're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. See, it gets to the point where we, we get ready to, to ditch this and say, you know what, it's going to be better. It would be better to be with the Lord. And, and so uh, we, we, we come home with the Lord, and we, we realize that that's preferable. In fact, this was a real conundrum for the Apostle Paul as well. The Apostle Paul would sell, say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Are you saying that for me to die is gain? And he, so he looks at it, and he's got a real dilemma. Here's his predicament. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body, convinced of this, knowing that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. He said, I, I'm torn. I want to go and be with Christ. I, I know what it's like to have problems and difficulties and pains and aches and all the rest. I want to go and be with Christ. But I see that there's something that I need to do here. And so he's willing to set that apart. So when a believer dies, their soul spirit goes to be with the Lord. And they have the joy of his presence with him. The safety, the security, the struggle with sin is no more. Won't that be great? Won't that be great when you when, when you see somebody and they got something that you didn't get and you could just so be so happy for them and, and, and not always all that stuff that's going on, envy and bitterness inside us and unforgiveness, all of that will be gone. We'll never struggle with that again. And, uh, but, but God always determined that we would live in a human body, a physical body. Um, so what about those people who rejected Jesus Christ? Do they go into the presence? Does their soul spirit go into the presence? Well, no. And uh, Julia read for us a passage of Scripture, and I want to just point a few things out from that. Um, he, she's pointed out uh, for us what happens uh, when a person dies. And the Lord tells us an account of a, of a rich man and Lazarus. And uh, the rich man... Uh, we, we find is uh, he's dressed in purple. Now, you know something? If you were dressed in purple, there were, there were only two sources you could get. One of the sources was a, a, a kind of thing that grew in the water. It was, it was a water animal, and you could collect them. You know, you know there's not, the sea is quite a ways away. 
and they would have to collect all these things and, and they would take uh, a dye that would come from this. And so you had to be filthy rich to be having clothes of purple and fine linen. He had a gated community. I, I know from uh, being in India, one of the first things they do if they have a, uh, a piece of property is they, they put a, a border wall around it. They put a gate in it. What is that? That defines the area. And you can't get in because he had, he had a gated community. And now there was that guy that was the rich guy. And then there was Lazarus. It's interesting. We don't even know the name of the rich guy. He's just the rich guy. Lazarus is a poor person. Lazarus is a person who's destitute. His name means helped by God. <laughs> the other guy had all the, all the, the, the cards on his side. And, and here he is. And somebody, he can't, he can't convey himself there. So somebody has to carry him. And they put him outside the rich man's gate, hoping that this guy will take pity on him, that, that he will um, give him something to eat, help care for him. So he puts him there. But the rich guy won't even give him the time of day. He's, he was hoping that, that maybe if something fell from his table, he would throw it out into the roadway and I could have it. Uh, he didn't have any care for Lazarus. And, um, and, and all Lazarus had was to care for him was street dogs. They're wild dogs. They, they exist there. They're, they're in so many countries around the world. And they would come and they would lick his pussy sores, as terrible as that sounds. And, and, and here he is, um, contrasted, nothing to eat, no, nobody to take care of him, and a man who has everything and won't even uh, give him anything at all. And, and we learn something from this. Laz Lazarus goes into Abraham's side. This is a picture of the covenant people of God. You are a part of the covenant people of God. There you'll be secure. Everything you will need, uh, you'll, you'll have for you. Uh, so he died, and get angels conducted him to heaven, to Abraham's side. Interestingly enough, the, the, uh, the uh, rich man also died, and he was buried. And he was, his soul spirit went to hell or to Hades. And we'll be discussing later some of these terms. Uh, but he goes to Hades where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. He, he had everything before. Now he's got nothing. He sees Abraham with the, the rich man. Uh, or with Lazarus, rather. And so here he is in torment, looks up, sees Abraham far away, and he calls to him, Father Abraham! Well, really, you're not, you're not part of the people of God. So, so he, he says this, have pity on me. He had no pity on Lazarus, no, none whatsoever. Tell him to go and send him to dip his finger in some water and touch my tongue because I'm in torment. I'm in agony, he says, with the, this fire. Um, I want you to understand this. That our lives and our decisions in this life 
result in our eternal destiny in the afterlife. What you do with your life now, how you live your life, what you put, what you put your stock in, what you put your trust in, who you worship, that will, that will dictate where you will be for all of eternity. And uh, your destiny is established irrevocably. Listen to what he says here. He's, he thinks he's still in control. He thinks, there's that Joe boy. Uh, tell that Joe boy to get some water over for me here now. Let him even stick his finger and say, you know, like you don't call the shots anymore. You did call the shots. You had, a, you had an opportunity to, to care for others and be concerned for others, and, and, and you are not. I want you to notice something else. Um, people are conscious in the afterlife. You know, some people talk about soul sleep. They say, what happens after you die? Your soul just goes to sleep, and, and God will wake it up at the resurrection. That's not the case. You are living a conscious life after death. As a Christian in the presence of Jesus, as a person who has rejected Jesus and done your own thing, um, you will be conscious in a place of torment. That's, it's not the final judgment. This is an intermediate time and place. People are conscious in the, in the judgment. Uh, also, I want you to know that People in hell are not repentant. They're not repentant. Listen to what he says. Abraham replies, listen, listen to how gentle Abraham is. Son, he says, son, remember that in your lifetime you received many good things. Well, Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted, and here you are in agony. And besides all this, there's a great chasm set between, in, in place so that those who want to go from here to there cannot, nor can anyone cross over from the other way. He's conscious of what's going on. He's able to see that, that the Lazarus is with, um, with Abraham. And, and he says, you can't, it's fixed. You can't do it. You can't go from here to there. They can't go from here to there. I don't think Lazarus saw this or knew what was happening because he was in a place of joy. But, but this guy could, could see, and he was plagued by that. He was bothered by that. And, and so he, he's not, you know what, there's not a shred of repentance in him. Get that boy to go get that. For me, get him, he's, get him to do that. And, and he says, um, Lazarus, there, there, was, there was no repentance. He, could, he should have fallen on his face and said, I have been wrong all my life. I've been selfish. I've never, you know, he, he doesn't do that. Look at what he does do, though. He, he answers, I beg you, Father, uh, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let them warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. It sounds at least like he's thinking of somebody else for a change, but it's too late for him. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And he goes on to say, um, no, Father Abraham, he says, but if someone from the dead goes back, they will repent. And he says to them, if you do not listen to Moses and the prophets, 
they'll not be convinced even if somebody goes back from the dead. People are not repentant in hell. They don't turn to God. They don't ask for mercy. They rail at God. They're not happy with what's happened to them, but they don't bow and confess they are. People in hell are not repentant. And, and here's, here's what we, we, we see also, that miracles are insufficient to save a person. They need the word of God. You say, well, you know, you know, you know we say so often, oh, if God did a miracle and, 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 and took my, my loved one who is uh, in, the, in the place of, of just um, uh, going to die, there's no hope, they've said there's no hope for him at all. And, and what happens, you say, we'd say, oh, wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't, wouldn't people turn to Christ if they saw this miracle, if they saw that person? Well, maybe some would, but there was another guy by the name of Lazarus who died. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. Lazarus died and they were calling Jesus to come and Jesus stayed a little longer till he'd been dead for four days. And that was kind of like if the spirit would hover around the body until it started to decay, then they, there would be, it would be hopeless and Jesus did an incredible miracle. All the people in Bethany, and they heard about it in Jerusalem, when Jesus calls Lazarus, come out, and he comes to life. And do you know what the religious leaders did? You know what, the, you know what they did? They wanted to kill Jesus, and they wanted to kill Lazarus. You say, well, surely if they see this miracle, look at the miracles that Jesus uh, uh, did over all those years of, of ministry. And what was he left with? Actually, a rather small band of people. Miracles are not sufficient to save. It's only when we turn to Christ, and that will come uh, when, when they have the word of God, and God, by his spirit, makes it alive to them. See, Jesus died he was raised again, and people didn't believe. People didn't accept. The religious leaders wouldn't turn to God. I want you to know also that what we consider important is meaningless in the afterlife. Whatever happens in the afterlife is, is, is uh, it's, it's meaningless what we do now. And, and some of us have so committed ourselves to uh, amassing for ourselves wealth and having a good time and, and not caring about anybody or anything else. And, and uh, we, we, our afterlife is dependent on how we live in this life. And it can be so shallow and meaningless in God's economy. I want to... I want to just come away with this message with just some things that we can think about to do. First, there's incredible comfort by knowing and understanding this, that God would care for his people, that when we go from this world, we go into the presence of Jesus. 
And in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, they were concerned because some of their relatives had died and they, who knew the Lord, and they thought, well, they, they'd be missing them, and they wouldn't. They said, no, no, they'll, they will, they're safe with Jesus, and they'll come back with the resurrection, and you need to encourage yourself with this. And so we need to seek comfort in this, that those who love and know Jesus, who die, they, uh, they continue to live. They're safe with him, and we encourage each other with that. Also, I want you to, to know also that the Apostle Paul said, because of this, we don't lose heart. Look, this is, uh, this is a really neat um, in 2 Corinthians 5, it starts with, for we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, he talks about that. But, but if you look before that, in verse 16, he says this, therefore we don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. You know what that's all about? I do. We have a lot of people who know it is. They're, they're wasting away. They're getting older. They're getting uh, less able and capable but though outwardly they're wasting away inwardly they're being renewed day by day for listen how he listen to how he talks about all his problems all of his beatings all of his incarcerations all of his uh, everything that, that went wrong for our light and momentary troubles he said are working for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all so we fix our eyes on Jesus not one on what is seen but what is unseen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal there's something the reality about that 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 gives us the 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 courage to keep going because we know there's something ahead for us. And if you're struggling, if you're, you're having a tough time uh, physically or in, in different ways in your life, he wants you to remember that just keep on the track. Don't lose heart. Hang in there because the unseen stuff is more real than the seen stuff for us. Um, thirdly, if you're not following Jesus Christ, I want to urge you, I want to implore you, I want to ask you and beg you to consider trusting Christ. You see, it can be too late for you if you don't do it when you can now. And sometimes, I know, I know lots of people have said to me, you know, I, I, I believe in God and, and I want to come back to my faith, but I just... I've just got too many things on the go, and I have my own agenda. And sometime when I get older, you have no, uh, you have no uh, promise of that at all. That's the problem. I had a woman um, in one of my congregations who called me on a, a Monday morning. Her brother was dying of cancer, and he was at home in his house in a, a hospital bed. And uh, at that time, I, I used to take Mondays off. And so uh, her came, call came, I don't know what, uh, you know, 9.30 or quarter to 10, something like that. And I had been fixing my lawn more to cut the lawn. And I said, I said to Judy, I said, I'll be happy to come and see your brother. She said, he's been given a week to live. So I went and finished with the lawnmower, finished the lawn, had a shower, went up there, and he died about a half an hour earlier. 
And I thought, that's so tragic. That we, we, we have no guarantee about time. When our, our number is up, that same woman had, uh, had a son. And uh, I got a, a, a tragic call. Her son and his friend, an 18 and 19-year-old, were on, a mo- on motorcycles. Uh, they ran off the road, and both of them were killed. I had, uh, I had that, that funeral. It was so heartbreaking. You know, we think, when I'm older, when, when it's more convenient, I'll maybe look into this, but not now. And I, I want to say to you, don't presume upon the future. You have no guarantee in the future. In the next verse, in, in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, he said uh, that uh, we, we need to know that, that now is the accepted time. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Don't let it go on. Don't turn it down. Don't say, sometime I'll do it, because sometimes your heart just hardens more and more. And the last thing I just want to share with you is our responsibility. Who helped you come to faith in Christ? Whom did God use to encourage you to share the good news of Jesus? And, and, and whom did he use in your life? Can I tell you that what he wants for us, and in that same chapter of 2 Corinthians 5, that he wants us to share the good news with others. Listen, listen to what he says here. He says this, All this is from God who gave us the ministry of reconciliation to help put the relation, our relationship with God back together. That God was reconciling the world and to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us, listen, he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. He says this, we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. We implore you. Is there somebody, and you, you know, you've been maybe too proud, maybe, maybe fearful, and you know God wanted, wants you to share the good news with someone. And, and somebody helped us. Let's help somebody else come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's care enough to risk embarrassment. Let's care enough to reach out in, in maybe not have a good response, but let's reach out. God gives us that responsibility. What a beautiful thing. So what happens when we die? Our eternal destiny is set. It's fixed in cement at that point. Whether we follow Christ and go to be with him at home with Lord, the Lord, or whether we go to a place of torment, and we'll, uh, for which we will never, ever get out of. I want to encourage you, if you haven't trusted Christ, that you would open your heart to him now. You can do it by, by acknowledging your sin and your rebellion and asking God to forgive you, putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died to pay the penalty for your sin so that as his judge he could acquit you and forgive you and make you a part of his family and grant you everlasting life and let's reach out to others and share the good news with them as well let's pray our father what an incredible incredible fate lies ahead of us 
Lord, you have made a way for your love for us because you're not willing that any perish, but you want all people to come to repentance. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to live for you, to share your good news with others, to find strength when things get tough, knowing that it will be worth it all when we see you and for eternity we'll be with you. And so, Father, I pray that you would just help and encourage every one of us wherever we are in our walk. And, Father, draw us into your love, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Oh.